Welcome back to the Youth Bible in One Year, day 194. When it comes to worship, there's no one-size-fits-all answer. Every person worships God in their own unique way. However, there are some general principles of worship. Today, we will explore some of these principles and learn how to worship God in a way that is pleasing to Him. In his book, The Vision and the Vow, Pete Gregg tells of how a distinguished art critic was studying an exquisite painting by the Italian Renaissance master Filippino Lippi. He stood in London's National Gallery gazing at the 15th century depiction of Mary holding the infant Jesus on her lap, with saints Dominic and Jerome kneeling nearby. But the painting troubled him. There could be no doubt in Lippi's skill, his use of colour or composition, but the proportions of the picture seemed slightly wrong. The hills in the background seemed exaggerated, as if they might topple out of the frame at any minute into the gallery's polished floor. The two kneeling saints looked awkward and uncomfortable. Art critic Robert Cummins was not the first to criticise Lippi's work for its poor perspective, but he may well have been the last to do so, because at that moment he had a revelation. It suddenly occurred to him that the problem might be his. The painting had never been intended to come anywhere near a gallery. Lippi's painting had been commissioned to hang in a place of prayer. The dignified critic dropped to his knees in the public gallery before the painting. He suddenly saw what generations of art critics had missed. From his new vantage point, Robert Cumming found himself gazing up at a perfectly proportioned piece. The foreground had moved naturally to the background, while the saints seemed settled, their awkwardness, like the painting itself, having turned to grace. Mary now looked intently and kindly directly at him as he knelt at her feet between Saints Dominic and Jerome. It was not the perspective of the painting that had been wrong all these years, it was the perspective of the people looking at it. Robert Cumming, on bended knee, found a beauty that Robert Cumming, the proud art critic, could not. The painting only came alive to those on their knees in prayer. The right perspective is the position of worship. From Psalm 84 Hear my prayer, Lord God Almighty. Look with favour on your anointed one. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favour and honour. No good thing does he withhold from those whose way of life is blameless. Lord Almighty, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Discover the blessings of worship. There is nothing in this world that compares to worshipping God, walking in a close relationship with him and enjoying his favour. This is what the psalmist prays. Hear my prayer, O Lord God Almighty. Look with favour on your anointed one. This psalm is all about the blessings of worshipping God in his dwelling place. During this period, it was the Jerusalem temple. Those who dwell in God's house are blessed and they are ever praising you. The psalmist says he would rather spend one day in the presence of God than a thousand elsewhere. One day spent in your house, this beautiful place of worship, beats thousands spent on Greek island beaches. 
I'd rather scrub floors in the house of my God than be honoured as a guest in the palace of sin. To worship God is to experience him as sunshine, bathing us in his light and warmth, and a shield defending us from evil. He prays for this because he knows how wonderful it is. The Lord bestows favour and honour. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. O Lord Almighty, blessed are those who trust in you. Lord, I worship you today. One day in your presence is better than a thousand elsewhere. Help me to keep trusting in you and worshipping you. New Testament from Romans 1 For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator, who is forever praised. Amen. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind, so that they do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. They not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Worship only God. You become like what you worship. If we worship worthless idols, our lives become worthless. If we worship God, eventually we will become like him. The Apostle Paul begins in this passage to unfold what has gone wrong in the world. The heart of the problem is that humankind has worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator. God has specifically revealed himself in the Scriptures and ultimately in Jesus Christ, who is his exact representation. But what about those who've never heard the good news? Paul's argument here is that we are all without excuse. God has revealed himself in his creation, but the basic reality of God is plain enough. Open your eyes and there it is. By taking a long and thoughtful look at what God has created, people have always been able to see what their eyes as such can't see. Eternal power, for instance, and the mystery of his divine being. So nobody has a good excuse. This knowledge of God is only partial and limited. But, as the psalmist puts it, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. We only have to look at the created world to know that there must be a God. The problem with the world is that in spite of this revelation of God, they refused to worship him. They neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. Instead, they worshipped and served 
created things. Therefore, the Apostle Paul writes, God gave them over. God allowed us to go our own way in order that we might at last learn the terrible consequences that follow. Life turned away from the worship of God is ultimately futile. As the message puts it, it is godless and loveless. Since they didn't bother to acknowledge God, God quit bothering them and let them run loose. And then all hell broke loose. As the worship of God declines, so the morality of a society declines following in its wake. We should not be surprised that as the worship of God has declined in our nation, so many of the things described in this passage have followed in its wake. If you want to keep the right perspective, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus and keep worshipping and serving your Creator. Lord, I pray there may be a turning away in our society from the worship of created things and a restoration of worship of you, our Creator. Old Testament from 2 Kings 24 and 25 In the 37th year of the exile of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, in the year Awal Marduk became king of Babylon, he released Jehoiakim, king of Judah, from prison. He spoke kindly to him and gave him a seat of honour higher than those of the other kings who were with him in Babylon. So Jehoiakim put aside his prison clothes and for the rest of his life ate regularly at the king's table. Day by day, the king gave Jehoiakim a regular allowance as long as he lived. Pray for a restoration of worship. As we look around at our society, it can sometimes seem as if we are in a kind of exile. It can seem that the church is breaking down. In this passage, we see that the people of God have been through desperate times in the past, but we also see hope for the future. As the book of Kings closes, we read of the terrible consequences of a nation that has done exactly what the Apostle Paul describes in our New Testament passage for today. They had turned away from worshipping God to worshipping idols, created things. As a result, we see the destruction of Jerusalem and its temple and the people going into exile. During the reign of Jehoiakim, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, advanced on Jerusalem and laid siege to it. The leaders of the people were carried off into exile. The next king was appointed by the king of Babylon. Zedekiah was no better, and things went from bad to worse, as Nebuchadnezzar once again laid siege to Jerusalem. This time the outcome was even more devastating. Nebuchadnezzar set fire to the temple of the Lord, the royal palace, and all the houses of Jerusalem. Every important building he burned down. The people were carried into exile. Judah went into exile, orphaned from her land. We're told, it is because of the Lord's anger that all this happened to Jerusalem and Judah, and in the end, he thrust them from his presence. All of this needs to be read alongside the books of Jeremiah and Ezekiel, two prophets who were prophesying at that time. The greatest loss for the people of God was the destruction of the temple. This was the place where they worshipped God and experienced his presence. Now they were thrust from his presence. This was the worst impact of the exile. Yet, the book of Kings ends with a small ray of hope. In the 37th year of the exile of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, he is released from prison. He's invited to eat regularly at the king's table. The exile is not going to last forever. Here is a note of anticipation of better things to come. 
the people of God will return from exile and rebuild the temple and begin to enjoy the presence of God and the worship of God once more. Lord, I cry out to you for restoration and revival. Would you restore your church in this country? Revive us again. May our nation turn back to you, begin to worship you again, enjoy your presence, and on our knees before you, see things from the right perspective. Pepper adds, In Psalm 84 verse 11, it says, No good thing does the Lord withhold from those whose walk is blameless. I've been pondering this. It's a wonderful thing that no good thing is withheld by the Lord. But I've often wished that it says, for those who are not doing too badly, because blameless is rather a high standard. That's why we need the cross, because we can't do it on our own. Let's take some time to reflect on what God has been saying to us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that I get to worship you. Thank you that I can put you at the centre of my life and that you are good to me because of it. Lord, I'm sorry for where I haven't worshipped you and I've worshipped other things, putting them above you. Help me today to put you first, to put you as number one in my life. And Lord, let my worship be all about you, not about the thing that I'm doing, Let it be about you. Help me to focus on you in every form of worship that I partake in. Lord, thank you that you're with me and that I can worship you. Amen.